Welcome to the 21st episode of Tokenizing Everything, our weekly interview series with thought leaders in the blockchain industry. Today's guest is Roger Hines, research associate at the Business Engineering Institute St. Gallen and focusing mainly on blockchain-related topics such as tokenization. Before we begin, I have to mention that all opinions are solely personal and do not reflect the opinion of Amazing Blocks or any other involved party. So, Roger, it's a pleasure to have you here today. How are you? Thank you, Nicolas. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. How are you? Um, I'm good as well. <laughs> that's pretty nice because we have a Friday afternoon at the moment, the sun is shining, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, the topic uh, uh, I really like, uh, tokenization. And yeah, really looking forward to the next 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, likewise, you know, I think there's a lot of topics we can... <laughs> you know, cover on and uh, so you have a vast degree of knowledge in that regard. So maybe would you like to start by just briefly introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, as you already mentioned, I'm a research associate at the so-called Business Engineering Institute. Um, what um, we actually do is uh, we are a spin-off of the University of St. Gallen. And uh, what we do is like applied science. So um, we are, uh, do a consulting for um, the financial industry. And uh, besides that, um, we do research in uh, more or less four different fields. Uh, one field, of course, is blockchain and distributed ledger technology. And the other fields are, for instance, artificial intelligence, agile transformation, and uh, business ecosystems. And um, as well, uh, doing research at the Institute of Information Management, where I do my PhD, uh, surprisingly, uh, about tokenization and digital assets. And um, I'm there yet now uh, about two years, um, something in that field. And um, yeah, slowly uh, uh, you see a big momentum. And I think uh, the last week and months were pretty great uh, for the world space. Yeah. Yeah, exciting. You know, it's always you know interesting when you can can kind of combine business and academia. So before we you know dive really into the blockchain and tokenization topics, maybe before this. Why did you decide to go down that path of becoming a researcher, you know, having that neutral approach and what fascinates you about the academic aspect of this? Um, yeah, so uh, to be honest, I was not that big in research before. Um, before I went to the University of St. Gallen, I was a consultant in the area of uh, production logistics. Uh, and I did an industrial engineering, uh, I have an industrial engineering background. And uh, interestingly, I got in contact with uh, blockchain technology uh, pretty early. Um, I went uh, to the Institute of Supply Chain Management doing my master thesis on blockchain and logistics. And this was pretty interesting because uh, it was really, really early stage. And we had this professor and he said, yeah, Roger, you're looking for a topic. Perhaps you can do like uh, blockchain uh, at the intersection of production logistics because all, also all about transactions. And um, yeah, so I get into the space and I really like the technology because it's uh, so different. Because if you compare it to artificial intelligence or something like that, you had like this big incident in 2009. And since then, uh, the world industry, the world research is just running behind this phenomenon. And um, this is what I really like. And of course, the open community. So this, this is, I think, uh, the most biggest assets uh, that you can have. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, really exciting, you know, kind of you stumbled across blockchain uh, randomly. <laughs> that's yeah. a, um, 
And so, it, so supply chain is really what you had initially focused on. What would you describe the, the biggest benefit of applying blockchain in the sector? Mm. Yeah, so we were really early on with our research. I think we published a paper as well uh, during my master thesis in 2017. And we could identify that, of course, you have different transactions like material flows and you have financial flows. And the biggest benefit is when it comes to synchronizing uh, the different information flows, uh, uh, for instance, in uh, trade finance. This is pretty uh, exciting because uh, you have one platform and uh, of course, a lot of you already know that you have one global uh, source of trust and uh, uh, alongside uh, with different stakeholders when it comes to logistics, it's really easy to incentivize these kinds of platforms. And this would probably be like initiating uh, processes on basis of this knowledge. Yeah? And um, unfortunately, um, I'm more or less out of the space now, but I think uh, like 2016, you have a lot of trade finance platforms as well. Uh, I think Marco Polo was one case study uh, I did. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting that it's somehow, you know, uh, it, it really works. This is totally different when it comes to the financial industry. Yeah, definitely. You know, the token economy is very diverse or generally the blockchain space. Um, mm. So, so now you, you came from the supply chain side into the, the, the space. So then, and then you, you kind of turned to tokenization or was there any other, you know, focus in, in the blockchain space that you, you looked at? Mm -hmm. So um, I think my first, uh, first I got in touch with cryptocurrencies, of course, it was like, um, this is something I always tell, like uh, how I got in touch with the world industry was 2013. And uh, at that time, I didn't really know what Bitcoin was uh, or cryptocurrencies uh, in general. Uh, I just read an article that you can download some piece of software on your computer and then you can mine uh, some uh, some coins and then you can exchange it for real money on this exchanges and i tried to uh, download like the full node uh, of bitcoin unfortunately my hardware hardware drive was uh, too small so uh, i had to uh, i think i downloaded like feather coin or something and after that it was totally worthless and that's why i had already like a, a good um, let's say uh, understanding about cryptocurrencies uh, and stuff and this also um, developed uh, during my research date, uh, starting um, research on supply chain management, because it was like an uh, initial trigger. Uh, you had the start of the Ethereum framework, Ethereum blockchain, and I always was into space and then in that space. And um, after two years of consultancy, uh, I said, okay, uh, I have the need to do something else. And then I said uh, transactions, you also have transactions in uh, the financial industry. And uh, I said there could be a transfer. And then I um, said, okay, um, let's go into it. And uh, this was the interesting thing because, yeah, let's say this open source community, cryptocurrency thing brought me more into the finance side uh, as well, just doing banking, of course. Uh, yeah, definitely. And um you have a, a perfect opportunity to kind of find common ground between all these, these mm -hmm. players, right? Um, so it's interesting, you know, having these different perspectives on the space. And uh, could you tell us or give us some insights on the general blockchain initiatives that the Business Engineering Institute in St. Gallen has? Like, what are they mainly focused on? Is it tokenization and supply chain or also other, you know, aspects in this industry? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um 
what we had before I started. We had like another PhD, my predecessor. He did already um, blockchain technology, but more from an enterprise perspective uh, when it comes to consortium blockchains, uh, like order, etc. cetera. Uh, we also had like a, a common network, um, uh, of course, uh, uh, with initiatives uh, uh, connected uh, and linked to the Frankfurt School Blockchain Center. Uh, they do fantastic work uh, over there, these guys. Of course, uh, I'm more or less alone with as well as the other PhD students. Um, but we always try to do is um, uh, do applied science, applied research uh, at this field with um, uh, practitioners with big exchanges, uh, with big players in the financial industry, uh, doing proof of concepts at the moment, um, for instance, asset tokenization, or uh, what my predecessor did was um, doing proof of concepts uh, according to bond transactions this was pretty fun and um, of course a lot of education um, we're working together with uh, uh, Dortmund uh, Europe blockchain and a center as well and uh, um, you know it's like a, a big family the community is uh, great and uh, it's always on one side always the same people but uh, uh, it's really open and of course, we do also a lot of standardization, for instance, here in Switzerland, uh, where we are also part of the international standard organization. And uh, uh, there we try to build somehow a standard on BLT, and there we contribute to our working group um, smart contracts. And uh, the technical standard, this was really easy. <laughs> this was very fast. But we also have to do a so-called legally binding smart contract standard. This took uh, much longer uh, because of uh, national restrictions. Um, but uh, yeah, these are the, so the, the biggest uh, initiatives we're doing now. Okay, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, so you, you always, you know, continuously bridging the gap between CFA and DeFi. So in, in terms of this, and you already mentioned standardization, and we'll, we'll get into this also a bit later. Um, what would you describe as the biggest hurdles in terms of onboarding, for instance, institutions into this space that you experienced throughout the, the process? Uh, you mean like uh, 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 central finance? Yes. This? Yeah. When it okay. enters the uh, blockchain space and uh, you know, the hurdles. It is, it is really a challenge. So um, you must understand when we do like this um, research workshops, um, we have like 30 participants from the uh, banking industry sitting there. Uh, totally different knowledge about technology in general. And then, of course, totally different knowledge when it comes to, about uh, distributed ledger technology. So you have uh, digital innovation managers there as well as people from marketing, uh, but also really the techies. And um, therefore, it's really uh, uh, challenging to build a common understanding. Um, therefore, we initiated um, some kind of Wikipedia, uh, blockwiki.org, uh, where we try to define a common definition for some uh, uh, terminology. Uh, here it's important that, um, of course, everybody has a different perspective on, on uh, blockchain technology. Uh, but the thing is that, for instance, for, for the research, you define the uh, terminology in the first place. Uh, so what's a smart contract? What's an oracle, for instance? This is, of course, very difficult. So we try to do a lot of education in, in this field. Um, another example is that I had um, a discussion with a, a really banking guy. And if you are at the conferences uh, talking from, from people who came directly from banking, it's like really difficult because uh, they, when you talk about cryptocurrencies and blockchains, they always ask like there's still uh, 
it still costs so much money, it's uh, so expensive, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the only thing is to do a lot of education there in the first place. And um, uh, so we did also as well uh, different videos in the space and do a lot of networking. I think this is a, this is a transformational process. And um, what we do in our working groups as well is to build um, yeah, prototypes, you know, like tangible problems because that's uh, DLT and blockchain is all about. It's about the application. And uh, for instance, um, we try to uh, do a digital identity uh, to implement it on Solidity. And on the other side, we use Corda. Uh, so that's, I think, the most basic and best things to do to show the people how, how you can do it. Another thing is when it comes to cryptocurrencies, um, we start to build a template wallet uh, where we also do like um, putting different cryptocurrencies in there, showing the people uh, how uh, the whole thing uh, is executed, how it's done using wallets, using public keys. And I think that's the best way, like showing it and talking about it. Huh? Yeah, education really, I think, is, is the key and also an intuitive user interface, right, that uh, people do not necessarily always have to understand mm -hmm. blockchain per se uh, to utilize it or to use it generally like with the internet or so. Yeah, sorry. But, but do you think uh, it's, uh, what's your uh, experience there? You, you think it's getting um, better that people uh, improve, have improved understanding about the space? It's slowly becoming like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I see it, you know, a lot of people are currently, you know, asking about it, trying to educate themselves. You know, a lot of uh, younger people as well want to kind of think, do a lot of research in this. Obviously, some is, is driven by the hype in the crypto markets. Mm. And others, you know, are really looking for use cases and how to apply blockchain. Maybe at this stage, um, another follow-up question on this topic. To you, what do you think to these institutions? Is it more like what do you, or from your experience, do you see they're more interested in the crypto markets or like, for instance, security tokens? Like, because this could also be, or digitizing assets in general could also be interesting to them, or is it like kind of balanced out? Mm -hmm. uh, I would even uh, go uh, even a, a step backwards, um, uh, doing the differentiation between product innovation and process innovation, you know. Um, we also have um, a lot of IT providers in our research. They are more interested like using enterprise blockchain to make processes or interaction more efficient. You have like these kinds of groups. And then, of course, uh, with gaining momentum in the media, you have a big group of people um, uh, want to do like uh, product innovation. And then you have like SDOs, um, you have like uh, the... Uh, original cryptocurrencies and what we observe is that um, there is a lot of retail banks actually who want to um, further integrate or already integrated the possibility to buy cryptos in your customer portfolio so that it will be someday easy like uh, buying stocks or something uh, and that's why I think at the moment there's a bigger shift towards um, uh, cryptocurrencies as an investment vehicle you know because the people are demanding for it and um, the banks more or less reacting on that demand of course uh, security tokens we also um, talked about tokenization of um, of art uh, i think in early 2019 uh, with, with our uh, partners from the banks and there's also a different opinion around that of course uh, equity banks or private equity they they the, for them, it's another possibility to do uh, 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 new investments and build new products. 
but at the moment it's cryptocurrencies yeah 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 especially also with the hype around uh, having a crypto assets in the treasury and things like this i think is mm -hmm. what, what really drives people yeah, yeah and, and what you also see like um, i think last year you had a lot of startups doing like crypto custody Uh, in this in this time uh, really trying to build some kind of ecosystem with banks and now it's slowly starting and um, now like uh, time to market tokenization startups are, are coming like uh, at amazing blocks and that's really nice to see that you have agile startups uh, really with products time to market because I think this will probably uh, be the next step uh, yeah. adoption but As it is in financial industries, it's really difficult to incentivize people doing that kind of stuff you know, because we have still like crazy uh, discussions around Bitcoin. You, know, you have like two or three people saying it's worth nothing. Uh, then the other people are saying it's worth something. You can buy Teslas with it. And um, sometimes as a researcher, when you're standing there and try to uh, elaborate it, you can just see the people, just, it's still uh, polarizing, uh, mm -hmm. you know. And um, yeah. my, my personal opinion on that, uh, I think you already know it, I'm, I am really uh, optimistic uh, and very bullish uh, when it comes to cryptocurrency. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I fully agree. So I personally also find you know, DAO and all this, this, this type of governance structure and chain, you know, highly auspicious for the future. So, you know, um, we always have weekly questions from the Being Crypto community. And one question here was, you know, since you already talked about the incentivization in these, you know, ecosystems, what is the incentive of, for standardizing tokens in general? Mm -hmm. um, that's a pretty good question. I think standardizing independently from um, doing standards independently from any technology is important. Uh, that's the thing that we do at the uh, International Standard Organization uh, to provide more or less. Um, Um, guided structure uh, for enterprises, for developers, for programmers um, to do a lot of um, uh, implementation there to boost this and accelerate it. Um, on the other side, you also have to differentiate between technical uh, standards, technical token contracts, for instance, uh, as well as business-oriented standards. And I like to differentiate between uh, like this open source community And of course, enterprises. And I think standardization is more important for enterprises um, because uh, they need to professionalize uh, these kind of token contracts. But if you see in the past, when it comes to the Ethereum blockchain, you had this ICO hype. I think you already uh, you also uh, uh, had the experience with that. And then everybody uh, was using the Ethereum blockchain and the smart contract token uh, uh, for that. And uh, I think somehow you cannot standardize the open source community in a specific way. I think the market uh, will uh, standardize itself yeah? and then it depends on the chain. Uh, but when it comes to um, businesses, it's, it's really important um, perhaps to standardize uh, uh, STOs, for instance. And I see a lot of um, initiatives already there Uh, for instance, in Switzerland, you have a lot of crypto banks uh, trying to build standardized protocols uh, for anti-money laundering, for instance. And um, yeah, this will be uh, an important aspect. But as general, it's always uh, important to do uh, standardization. Yeah, yeah and you already um, 
I mentioned kind of a, a pain point. It's difficult to to kind of standardize something that's so diverse, like the token economy, right, and so fragmented in, in certain terms until we also have full interoperability between the different chains. So mm -hmm. it, it's hard to kind of cope with this. So since we're you know, kind of talking about difficulties, what would you, would you personally describe from your experience as the current pain points that harm the standardization and the, the tokenization? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I... <laughs> Uh, it's it's uh, funny because I already mentioned like uh, this standard for uh, legally binding smart contracts. That was very difficult because you had uh, uh, the problem is the technicians. That was not the problem. We already agreed very fast to a specific standard doing smart contracts, but then you has you had a lot of legal people, and then uh, the dis discussion starts. Is there a jurisdiction for uh, non-personal people for AI or I don't know? And the problem is to have a consensus, consensus uh, when it comes to uh, established banks, for instance, yeah, that they um, come together and build some kind of business-oriented standard. This is much more difficult, I think, uh, if you try to implement a technical standard, yeah, because uh, then you can be really agnostic. Um, one other thing is that um, when it comes to um, standardized uh, token contracts, um, that many exchanges, especially in Switzerland, are now uh, paralyzing uh, or have a blockchain agnostic uh, approach towards it, thinking about just in the first instance standardizing um, a financial contract and then in the second step saying using not only one framework, for instance uh, Ethereum uh, uh, to implement it, but also uh, other different uh, contracts like other frameworks. Uh, because the biggest uh, asset is um, uh, until we have uh, some kind of interledger protocol is that you can easily scale these kind of frameworks. And this is especially important when it comes to uh, tokens because uh, there you got your liquidity. You know? And um, uh, this, this is a challenge to get the people together on the table as well as people who somehow have some knowledge or are at least interested in standardizing tokens. You know? Yeah, and um, you've also already mentioned, you know, you've done a lot of research in this space and, um, you know, you, you're currently working on a, a completed, actually, research paper uh, that is called the tokenization of everything towards a framework for understanding the potential of tokenized assets. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe share some insights on this and kind of your findings throughout this? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think I sent you the pre-draft. Hopefully okay. you read it already. Uh, uh, but uh, it's already issued uh, or will be issued in the upcoming weeks. And of course, for the other people, uh, we're looking forward to that. Um, the idea was that what we um, identified is that in practice, so many people know the term digital assets, know the term tokenization, but actually they don't really know what the use case is behind uh, these different uh, uh, tokenization applications uh, can be. And the idea of the paper was um, to build some kind of framework, a classification, uh, to distinguish these kind of different uh, um, tokenization use cases. Because uh, um, one, one example is if you tokenize a watch. Of course, you can tokenize uh, a Rolex or another expensive watch. You're using it for investment purposes. Or you can also tokenize the watch to have transparency along the life cycle or along a supply chain. This, is, this could be also implemented through a token. Um, as well, you have other use cases where you can 
uh, use the tokens in form of utilities. Uh, once you have a specific token, you have a discount uh, to a specific service. For instance, uh, if you go to Binance, you have a Binance coin and uh, you can uh, save money when it comes to uh, transaction fees. And this was the, the initial, uh, initial idea. And then we talked to uh, a lot of people. Uh, Nicholas, uh, thank you for that. He was also one of the contributors to that paper. And um, uh, what we is that uh, in the first step, we wanted to know what actually a token can represent and uh, how to describe a token. There are a lot of different ways when it comes to distributed ledger technology that the token can be designed to be fungible, that the token can be designed to be non-fungible, uh, you can implement a certain behavior into a token, um, as well as you can um, uh, mint a token, can be burned, so uh, it can be the supply can be limited. Um, if you see a Bitcoin protocol, and in the first step we identified these um, descriptive uh, features of a token, and uh, to further distinguish use cases, we also identified um, yeah, the reasons why you use tokenization, mm -hmm. and they were also really different. For instance, transparency, liquidity, um, uh, efficiency is one big uh, thing that we heard a lot. Um, and the third step to enhance, enhance this understanding, of course, also what are the main major challenges in such use cases. We, we talk to the people, we're questioning them. What do you think uh, about tokenization? What are the challenges? And they said, yeah, of course, jurisdiction, uh, oracle problems. And we identified that. And in the second step, um, we did a fintech analysis of uh, a lot, I think 120 startups and applied this kind of framework so that we can derive like uh, different archetypes. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, uh, it will contribute uh, also or incentivize, uh, motivate to further research um, because um, when it comes to token economy, you have like two perspectives. You have the enterprise perspective on token economy course there are much more hurdles and you have like this open source DeFi uh, uh, community perspective on token economy mm -hmm. it's much more uh, I like to call it wild wild west mm -hmm. uh, and um, what we did or what we tried to do is like building a perspective um, uh, more business orientated from the enterprises uh, and um, this is so this is a general idea uh, of it uh, yeah and I, I think I also uh, um, uh, talked to you and I think you, you've seen the practical relevance, mm. uh, especially when it comes uh, to amazing blocks as also uh, tokenization startup. We also identified the tokenization of equity. Mm. I think this is something uh, you guys are doing as, as well. Yeah. There's also some other things and um, this is an integral part of new business models. And uh, also for me, it was really interesting because we're talking to bankers, to financial people, they always talk about uh, tokenizing assets, bankable assets. Yeah, we want to make them efficiency, more efficient. We want to uh, increase liquidity. And then you talk to people who are uh, more in the crowdfunding space. They are more idealistic and saying like, uh, we want to democratize uh, uh, assets. And this is, was really different and really interesting, uh, this research. Yeah. Yeah, so you heard the, the different perspectives, right? I was actually going to <laughs> ask about this, how it was, yeah. how the feeling from hearing from bankers and then from the traditional DeFi people and, and just kind of, you know, finding a common ground between these two parties, bridging it um, potentially. And so 
you know, it's really important that you have these researches and uh, the paper is really interesting. So when it comes out, I advise anybody to, to read it <laughs> for sure. I'm sure they can also ask you about it. And um, so based on the, you know, research there, what would you describe or signal out as maybe the most feasible use case for tokenization currently? The, the most feasible use case? Um, yeah, that's a pretty good question. Um, or, or you want to talk about the most hyped use case? So <laughs> We can go into this uh, as well. Maybe the most realistic okay. One. So, so the most feasible use case um, uh, at the moment is like uh, uh, yeah, doing efficiency gates, yeah, losing tokenization um, or like bankable assets uh, to raise uh, more or to get more efficient processes um, because uh, um, you can create like also new products uh, which were not feasible before, like such as microtransactions. Then you have a big uh, case all around opening of illiquid assets, where you have fractionality, uh, where you have a half of a token representing a, a artwork, representing an old timer, so non-bankable assets. So those are really feasible cases, um, which also have yeah, there are some requirements uh, for doing that, of course. But these are these are the most feasible cases because before blockchain technology or distributed ledger technology, these um, business models uh, when it comes to non-bankable assets weren't feasible before. Of course, you have securitization of specific non-bankable assets, but through this technology, it's by design really easy to um, represent uh, like different uh, assets and uh, make them uh, fractional, etc. So fungible tradable token representing both bankable assets as well as non-bankable assets, I think, these are um, the most feasible cases in the next uh, upcoming years. And um, uh, for me, the most feasible case, uh, uh, when it comes to that, in my opinion, it will be non-fungible tokens. Uh, the possibility to use blockchain technology to limit uh, the supply or even um, limit the supply to one individual representation uh, of a token that represents one individual asset, such as artwork or something, or digital artwork, uh, uh, because then you have the ownership as well as the possession, because it's a digital world already. Um, I think this is for me the most feasible case, because this is was not possible before, uh, before for blockchain technology. And uh, I think we see a lot of upcoming um, uh, applications in this field when it comes to gaming, for instance. I really like these cases where you have like trading cards or you have like crypto kitties. Um, and uh, this is something I, I, I really like, and that would be also the answer of the most hyped one. It's probably NFTs. And I mm -hmm. think we already talked about that. You get a lot of inquiries at the moment, tokenizing everything. <laughs> it, is, it is like that, I think. Huh? So, and I already read, uh, like when it comes to this NFT hype, that's a, uh, um, a German national football team. They also uh, try to issue some kind of trading cards uh, digitally. They try to make them scarce, so they are limited in a specific way. Um, yeah, that's that's a, a use case I, I really like, and I think it's uh, for all the of all tokenization cases really, really the most interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah the NFT app is is really huge right now and uh, you know I, as you mentioned you know, <laughs> there's just a crazy demand for this mm -hmm. type of project here and it also comes you know as you mentioned correctly the gaming industry 
but also in terms of art and and you know just digitizing also intellectual property and or maybe democratizing it even so but lately you know what i read actually the other day is that the sales have plummeted so do you think this kind of first hype is over now or what is your take on the current um you know nft sector will the hype, hype continue like this or will it kind of fade away a bit you, you mean like the the nft prices for mm -hmm. i think christie's had an nft like uh, digital painting or something mm -hmm. Um, okay, what, what, how do, does it plummet? Like they try to sell it? And amount of sales, um, you know, I think it was about, you know, 40k per week or so okay. um, a few weeks ago, you know, and then it kind of is now around 28 or 30k. So it kind of, you know, there was a kind of decrease. So yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, sure. I think this is a natural transformation process. Huh? When I look back at the first. Uh, NFT application it was uh, Crypto uh, Kitties. Mm. Uh, Crypto Kitties, I think it, it was 2018 or something. And you have like these different kitties, and they also were traded for uh, Ether uh, with a cryptocurrency Ether. And uh, as well, you have like big hype, and then the uh, I think the stickers or the cats were like um, 70,000 uh, euros or something. And of course, it, it plummeted. Uh, it's like uh, I think it's not a hype of NFTs. I think it's a general hype when you considering other collectibles, uh, for instance, if you have like Pokemon cards or baseball cards or, or even stamps. I think uh, 10 years ago, uh, if you remember, people had a lot of stamps and then nobody was interested in that anymore. I think this is a normal process. Um, what I think is more interesting is that I think this... Uh, will come back someday or even um, stabilize in the future because I think that the people somehow get a, a, that will change the customer behavior towards like digital assets or, or tokenized assets when they are digitized already. Um, I think this is a, a more important shift and then we will have a lot more uh, 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 such products. No. But do you own, uh, Nicholas, any uh, uh, NFTs already? I was really thinking about it, but I, I was not... Uh, really willing to buy buy an nft token or something like that yet yeah for me you know also i i've watched and followed the space or nfts also for a while already but um, i think the prices are just overrated and i also heard that sometimes you know they kind of um there's there's people actually inflating the prices kind of sending in from wallet a to wallet b for a price mm -hmm. and you know people then buy them cheaper at the end of the day but still so there's, to me, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to see when there's like real world use cases, I think, in terms of intellectual property rights and so on. And this is something where I, I definitely think that when it has legal compliance, um, mm -hmm. I would definitely, you know, buy something. What I also think is that potential identity could be somehow yeah. to an NFT, which is an interesting use case. Um, but uh, another question maybe to you in that regard, do you think that NFTs in general could be like some sort of security from a legal side in the future? I mean, in Liechtenstein, for instance, it is to a certain degree, or it would be possible, do you think it's a trend that will kind of emerge or you still more see them in the gaming space where it's more of a, a token in an ecosystem? Um, okay, the, the thing is with uh, securities is the definition of securities or, or, or why do you use securities? Uh, securities is always important if you need to liquidate a, a product very fast and then you can uh, give it to a, another counterparty. Um, uh, I think the difficulty when it comes to um, 
non-fungible token is that you need um, some kind of price evaluation. And um, this kind of price evaluation is often mostly dependent on uh, supply and demand. And uh, if I want to uh, buy a, an asset representing a security and you have a big volatility uh, uh, in an asset, it's, it's not, it can't be a security. You have to, um, this is a prerequisite. There's also one, one search aspect at, uh, uh, at the moment what I'm doing. You have to build some kind of a secondary market infrastructure for these kind of assets. And then you have uh, aspects like price evaluation, but you have like trading cards and you know exactly in real time, uh, uh, dependent on different uh, data sources, how much is this uh, trading card worth? And I think if that happens, uh, you can use it some, uh, as a way of security uh, and it will be also be tradable. But if it's actually a security from a banking perspective, I don't know that will happen uh, anywhere soon. Uh, but yeah. uh, this, this is... Uh, a thing that when people talk about tokenizing everything, uh, they, it, it, it's the next step. I think there are <laughs> two or three steps uh, you have to uh, do before, before you can fully implement uh, the tokenization of wine or anything like that. So, uh, and that's is, is the price evaluation, of course. And this is a nice report that I read uh, that uh, was published by Avalok. They are um, a company doing. Uh, the core banking systems for, for the banking world. They were also talking about this issue. Um, if you want to tokenize anything in the near future, uh, you have to build up a, a secondary market infrastructure to, to establish these kinds, this kind of liquidity for such assets. And yeah, we will see, uh, I think um, this is also like a really interesting field because you need some other uh, technologies and it's like a real, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's deep tech, you know, it's like integrated everything. And uh, if you have this kind of technology, uh, it would be amazing for, for tokenization space. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the secondary market is really, you know, one of the big, biggest bottlenecks in the tokenization sector. That's why, for mm -hmm. instance, you know, the, you know the, the feasible solution is really the primary market right now and the peer-to-peer -peer exchange mm -hmm. on OTC trading board, which... Um, you know, can be leveraged. But yeah, in terms of the secondary market, do you think here it will be kind of a, a merge between, you know, ex centralized exchanges and general institutions or, and decentralized um, exchanges? Or do you think it will kind of, uh, you know, evolve into one or the other direction? So, yeah, that's a pretty good question. Uh, I, I already made thoughts about that because uh, according to our um, banking partners, like big exchanges uh, working on uh, digital exchanges since two or three years, they are still not productive yet. Um, mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of exchanges, uh, established uh, uh, companies uh, who want to um, yeah. shift uh, uh, bankable assets towards uh, these kinds of markets. Mm -hmm. Then you have a look uh, on um, at big crypto exchanges, uh, of course, Binance, it's the biggest one. They already established uh, such kinds of uh, uh, tokens. I think they issue Tesla now, um, Tesla stock as a token. Okay. Then it will be further or later uh, some kind of, not fight, but uh, it will be really interesting in the near future because regulation has uh, plays a big role in that. 
Yeah, for instance, um, you a little bit uh, comparable to DSG for VO for AI. Yeah, you have this data privacy uh, 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 um, law, and uh, of course, it's it's difficult for AI uh, uh, startups uh, in Europe uh, to use data or uh, save the data. And that's why they go to Asia, where it's much more leisure, uh, where the data regulation is not uh, uh, that hard. And this will be the same in the crypto space. And that's why um, this will be a major thing or major shift, because when I am a, a established player, infrastructure like exchange or something like that, you have to be compliant, you have to be regulatory. And then you have like this big exchanges and you have seen Coinbase is like crazy. It's like the fourth biggest banks. I've seen a, a, a figure on that on LinkedIn. And uh, I think if they establish some kind of market infrastructure because uh, some regulation in Europe is changing, uh, then they have the time to market, uh, to shift towards uh, uh, conventional or traditional assets. This could be a threat. Uh, uh, and, and that's why um, when it comes to exchanges, it's, it's really political, it's really strategic as well in their ecosystem already when it comes to banks when it comes to retail banks there's a lot of talk and i think uh, uh, this is could be an advantage for uh, crypto exchanges to be much faster in that and um, if you see new generations uh, using cryptos using bitcoin i don't care if if, if it's running a, a blockchain behind it if i want to invest in a big uh, sap company I just want to go to the platform with uh, uh, which is most usable, which uh, transaction costs are uh, uh, very low, and that's it. And of course, then it will be like crypto exchanges in a way. But hopefully, and this is the position of the banks, uh, there will be at least some talks about that. But my, in my opinion, that's a nice thing. In Switzerland, we have a regulation now, as well as uh, in Liechtenstein, uh, that... Um, the regulators know this could be a disadvantage when it comes to future business models around it. And um, this is something that could be really, really fast uh, because Binance, I think there's um, situated in Hong Kong or some, some regulation like that. And they have like a limited in Malta mm -hmm. to, to uh, operate on the European market. But uh, uh, that's it. Yes, I see that issue too with the centralized exchanges um, to a certain degree that you never know for sure what can happen. I mean, mm. everyone knows the saying, not your keys, not your coins, yeah. which is why if it's a long-term, you know, investment, I, I would always kind of advise going to, a, you know, a wallet like either MetaMask to a certain degree or even further such as Trezor. Uh, are you okay? You mean DEXs? You have, you yeah. know, yeah, ah, okay. Yeah, that's, 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 that would be the next step. Mm. <laughs> when you try to explain banks what taxes are, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's going to be difficult, um, I think, for them if people understand it and if it's uh, more efficient than currently with the high gas costs and everything mm. in the biggest exchanges, not so much in the Binance Smart Chain, because Binance is tapping also in the, into this sector indirectly, obviously. With taxes uh, such as PancakeSwap and uh, all these mm. other things, right? <laughs> And um, banks really, I think, can, can kind of be a bridge also again with digitized securities, like in a you know, legally compliant tokenization sector, where they can handle KYC, ML aspects, cash on and off ramp, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah, 
So, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 I think it will be crucial for the banks or exchanges that they go into discussion with these kind mm -hmm. of uh, uh, crypto uh, uh, crypto banks, for instance, because yeah. it will be crucial. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, um, you know, at this stage, I would like to ask a, a question that I, I always ask my guests, and uh, I know it's not possible to give like a, a definite answer to it, but just generally, where do you see blockchain and tokenization in 10 years from now? Um, yeah, so I would say like uh, as um, beginning, you have to differentiate between like this product innovation uh, blockchain brings, this, this kind of products that uh, are now feasible because uh, uh, you don't have any intermediaries as well as cryptocurrencies. And I would think there will be a major mass adoption. So that's my, my opinion. Yeah, because um, we had a little bit luck, I think, uh, from the crypto market the last um, several months, yeah, like uh, Tesla buying um, those, etc. And I think in ten years it will be it will be mass adoption. I think it will be possible if it's not banned, if you don't have some kind of black swan event, uh, that it will be easy to um, buy cryptos at your house bank, at your retail bank. Yeah? So. Um, this um, I think this would be a feasible scenario and in addition to that um, of course I hope that uh, tokenization uh, platforms will rise in the near future um, where you um, somehow solve this problem of price evaluation that you can easily invest in uh, old timers or cars or something bridging the gap between the physical and digital world and um, there could be some kind of customer behavior change that people you know, we live in a digitized world now since Corona and uh, we are, for us, it's not about possession, it's more about ownership. And I think this could be some, some place in the future. And the other thing is like this process innovation, uh, using blockchain or DLT to make uh, processes more efficient. Uh, I think uh, this is already starting, but it's much more slower because you don't have a big bang. So if you use uh, application and blockchain is running behind it for efficiency reasons, it's the same application uh, also if there's a central uh, database running behind. And uh, I think this will also slowly increase uh, in the near future. Um, but uh, there are a lot of obstacles, uh, I think, along the way. And one obstacle, for instance, is like this ecosystem collaboration thing that you not only share data, but also share uh, uh, processes or functionalities in between a business ecosystem as well as you need some kind of other decentralized solutions. Um, this is a thing what I also always, uh, when, when it comes to discussions about blockchain um, technology in, uh, for exchanges and for bankable assets, you need a digital identity as well as a um, decentralized payment solution because then you have like the efficiency gains uh, to scale this platform that it's reasonable uh, that you use blockchain in the first place. And I think in 10 years, uh, there will be a lot of more uh, these uh, solutions and also to be integrated uh, in existing systems. So um, 10 years from now, I think we had like 12 uh, exciting years and um, yeah, it, it will be a great time. I, I'm really looking forward to it and hopefully um, uh, we will laugh back uh, at the times when we are talking about the current state of blockchain and cryptos uh, in the 2020s. 
um, but uh, I'm really optimistic uh, for, for this case when when some solutions are solved in the near future. Yeah, definitely. I, I fully agree with, with your statement. So thanks a lot, you know, for a very interesting episode. We, we you know, it was a, a rather long one, you know, so I appreciate uh, okay. all the, the interesting insights. You can see that um, you have an in-depth knowledge on the space and you've really, you know, done a lot here. So uh, thank you for, for, you know, the great content. And um, I hope you also enjoyed it and uh, it was a fruitful conversation. Yeah. To our listeners, I would like to say um, definitely follow up with Roger on his research paper <laughs> and uh, have a you know look at it. It's very interesting and very informative. Um, and yeah, it was a pleasure to have the show today. And um, if you have questions, feel free to reach out anytime. And I wish you a great day, guys. See you next. Yeah. Thank you, Nicholas, uh, for the invitation and uh, looking forward uh, to have another talk next year. <laughs> yeah. Same here. <laughs> Perfect. Goodbye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.